Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. We're back with our friend Steve Rhodes to discuss some media reporting, but more about the treatment of the media over the last two weeks as they try to cover the protest, some of the um, less than stellar behavior on the streets with looting, violence, and also the response from our justice system. So this is going to be less about just the quality of the reporting than it's going to be today, at least, about the response to the justice system. I, from the justice system, I have strong feelings about what these agencies should actually be doing, the media in response to these things. So, Mr. Rhodes, thanks for uh, coming on again. Thank you. How are you hunkering down in Chicago? Everything okay around where you're at? Uh, yeah, uh, my little corner of Logan Square has been relatively quiet, more in the center of Logan Square. The protests reached us a couple of days ago as they kind of diffused out from the loop in downtown. And there are boarded up buildings, I think mostly as a precautionary measure, but then things seem to have receded back to downtown in terms of where the action is. Or uh, Union Park uh, yesterday on the, on the near west side. I know I'm, I'm recording this from DC and uh, the protests were much, much larger yesterday and not a single, at least from the reporting and from the people that I know were down there, not a single incident of anything. So that's, we, we welcome we that. Had, we had, depending on which account you read, 20 or 30,000 protesters on Saturday. And I think I saw zero arrests. Now that seems uh, unbelievable that you wouldn't at least have like, you know, some guy peeing in an alley or something, <laughs> you know, some kind of minor. But I think I saw, saw something like that. So there's no question that arrests are down. I think fires and looting and property damage is also down. I think that part of things seems to have have kind of uh, maybe burned itself out a little bit, no pun intended. And, and now, and I think the police are now hopefully more intent on helping to, to just have things be peaceful. Not, I'm not trying to give the police any credit, don't get me wrong, but it, I think there's been a shift. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I also think that for the most part, metropolitan police departments, or at least what I saw in Chicago and DC here, not counting the federal alphabet soup that has engulfed uh, the town I now live in, the city I now live in, they seem to have, have backed off and said, you know, we can, we don't have to be as confrontational as we were. And by, I am by no means giving, once again, giving credit to the department necessarily. I thought early on, there's definitely things to critique their response throughout all of it. I don't necessarily share some of the responses from aldermen especially if we look at Chicago responses from aldermen who are critical of the administration after they locked down the loop. I'm unsure how 13, I'm unsure how any size force that you could possibly bring the bear on the city as dispersed as Chicago is, you could stop everything, right? I, I just don't see that. I did find, I mean, just for the politics of it, I, I did find Anthony Beal's criticisms always ring hollow to me around policing because he was the head of police and fire under Ram for a while, didn't get anything done, didn't do anything. 
he was the I'm sorry, I was under Daly, but he didn't do anything. So he, was, he had his crack. He was Daly's police and fire committee chair, was that right? Yes. Yep. And and Beale, I think he called for four or five thousand National Guard troop guardsmen out. Now Jamie Pritzker did send a few hundred with a very and and uh, to to at Mayor Lightfoot's request with a very specific task of, about securing the perimeter of downtown or whatever. But the thing is, is that Beale, Beale's been calling for National Guard troops for years for gun violence and so on. And uh, Beale and some of the other aldermen who have been critical of the mayor, who, again, I'm not, I mean, I have mixed feelings about, about uh, Mayor Lightfoot, but it's just so clearly opportunistic. Any chance they get to, it's it's not good faith criticism. It's baloney. It's um, the wild claims being made that are just nonsensical. So I just have a hard time taking it seriously. Yeah, I agree. And we'll, um, we'll probably do a show at some point on the podcast about the politics of all this and how this all went down. But I want to turn to, well, first of all, let me say, CJP is going to come out with either a podcast or a video for our YouTube channel about our feelings overall, about everything that's been occurring the last couple of weeks, but by no means ignoring it. I'm just not in the right headspace to produce that at the moment. So don't think we're ignoring it, ladies and gentlemen, it will be coming. But also, in, can I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yep. if I can kind of commend you for, for that is that, I, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't written a lot outside of about this either outside of pointing to a, some articles here and there because there's so much we don't know and so much that takes time to process thoughtfully and there's so much garbage out there and there's also no need to repeat the obvious it seems to me so i'm kind of glad you're you're thinking it through because not to be so to uh not to blow sunshine up your skirt, but it means that I know in the end it'll be something thoughtful and insightful and original. And I and so, I and that's the you know, I don't know what your ref if that's what your reference to headspace is about, but I think that that's we need more of that, more of people backing away before they spout off a bunch of right. And to me, it's the whole discussion around police accountability and how it should be done and what are what are the next steps and everything. It's a little more personal to me, especially in Chicago, because I was involved in, you know, legislation to reform the police board. I was heavily involved in writing it. We did a study. It's on our website from 2009 about how awful that organization was. I was significantly involved in writing the legislation to create the citizen office of police accountability or COPA and the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety's office, both of which I um, they have failed to live up to my expectations by significant amounts. And we're doing work that'll be released later this summer to show just that about why that is. So I'm not going to go into it here, but mm -hmm. so I've got to take all that into account. Obviously, anyone with any moral fiber in their body would uh, say clearly that the events leading up to the protests were horrible 
And, um, sure. but I, I want to go more in depth with it. Yes. And I, I want it to be for CJP. It's going to be an important, that's going to be a watershed moment about what we do and, um, how we transition from what we're doing to change our perspective from a backend solutions. And we have uh, Barry Friedman coming on our Facebook live interview on the 17th. Uh, he's from NYU Policing Center and some of the stuff he's written about the failures of backend police accountability and what needs to be done about disentangling the, the, what they do and how do we do it. The failure of our legislature, we're just talking about Beal and the police accountability or the police, uh, police and fire committee and their complete failure to live up to doing any oversight. Um, so it, when we come out, it's going to be a watershed moment for CJP and we're going to transition away from some things, admit some uh, mistakes were made along the lines and um, challenge the mayor, especially. I am not, not thrilled with the, we're going to enter, we're going to put these, we're going to prioritize these reforms in 90 days. Like they're, they're part of the consent decree. They were in the police accountability report. They're coming anyways. Sure. They will help, but, uh, I don't think any of those reforms are going to stop a white cop in Chicago from killing a black man. It's <laughs> just my right. feelings. We'll get more into that later, but I did want to address it a little bit. I just didn't want to let yeah, think people absolutely. know that we were ignoring it. Okay. So let's turn to something. We've had discussions about it for uh, the subject uh, earlier this week. I have very strong feelings about what I'm calling a civil rights violation. This is, we're going to talk now about the restrictions on the first amendment, Right. Yeah. on the media's First Amendment ability to report. And we're going to talk a couple specific situations. I just, you're a veteran, veteran in the news business. Are, are you, let's just get your overall feelings. Are you shocked by what you, you saw? Or do you think this is just run of the mill and we're just seeing it more because there's more cameras out now in people's pockets? Um, as far as like uh, abusing reporters and restraining them from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say that um, I'm, I don't know if I would say shocked, but I think it's, it's a, what do they call it? A difference of degree, not kind. Like it's the kind of thing that has happened before, but it seems to be really ramped up. I mean, it's at a, it's happening at a level that, well, maybe it is a bit shocking. And I think, I think for a lot of journalists, the, uh, I think they're a bit shocked who haven't really had confrontations with the police before, and it's getting a lot of attention. And there's a bit of a notion out there. I think it might've been the Atlantic that did this article, uh, but I might be wrong. That was something like, uh, you know, Donald Trump gave police permission to do this. You know, when you call the, the press, you know, the enemy of the people, for so long and kind of stoke that kind of sentiment. I think a lot of cops were thrilled to have a chance to whack them with their batons. So yeah, maybe I am shocked a little bit. I'm shocked at the degree to which it's happening. I've been shocked because I pay attention, obviously, for the last 26 years. I've been working on police accountability one way or the other and transparency. The degree to which they seem not to care. You could say pre- 2000 or 2005, whenever the iPhone came out, right? And we instantly had a camera in our pocket. Pre that, you know, seminal technology advancement, most of the time what happened at protests was could not be recorded or there were slim chances of you getting recorded. So I can understand how those things may have happened 
more back then, but we didn't see it. Now you would think they'd be a little more worried about getting caught on camera since everyone's got a camera. You know, they complain about being on, police will complain about being on, everyone's got a camera and they don't understand what's going on and they only get clips and da, da, da. But it hasn't, that hasn't deterred their activities. That is for sure. Especially against the press during these protests. Well, it's the, it's the irony that many others have pointed out that protests about police brutality captured on video are now capturing police brutality on video, <laughs> you, you know, um, and, and to your point too, I think from the media standpoint, journalists before uh, like the iPhone age or what have you might hear about things like, let's say protesters getting, getting their butts kicked by the cops or even might witness it themselves and maybe think, well, they deserved it. You don't, you don't uh, challenge the police or not even challenge like, uh, because that puts too much shed of blame on protesters, but you just don't, you know, you know even if you're a yes sir, no sir, they're gonna kick the shit out of you. So, but I think in the past, maybe the media has been like, well, good, they deserve it. But once it starts happening to the media, to the reporters, uh, I think they, they changed their tune a little bit. And I think now they, I think that there was kind of a shift in tone of the coverage, maybe even midweek, that it became much more sympathetic to the protesters. And I just have to wonder, I can't prove this. It'd be interesting uh, for someone to do, a, to do some interviews in an article. I'm wondering if it, the coverage became more sympathetic once the reporters started to get the shit kicked out of them and they thought, oh my God, the, these people are right. It might be. It might very well be. So one of the incidents I want to talk about, and it's obviously made the news probably around the world now, is the on-camera live arrest of the CNN reporter. And I'm sorry, I don't remember his name right at the, at the minute. Omar, I had it before. Omar, but. I, think it's, uh, I think he was Omar... Uh, I'm, I'm going blank on his last name. He handled himself incredibly well and very calm. Mm-hmm. But let's talk response. Like, what is CNN supposed to do? Now, as more of a person who likes information to get the information out there, and obviously I am not a journalist, necessarily I'm a researcher, but I have written pieces, journalistic pieces, but it would seem to me that CNN should have immediately filed, in my opinion, should have immediately after that arrest and he got out was filed suit for the preservation of records around it, the incident, and um, for their violation of the First Amendment and their civil rights to report and push the police department, even if they weren't going to go after damages, to basically uncover as much information as they possibly could about what happened. To me, it would be very similar to filing a FOIA suit, right? I know you don't want to make yourself the story, but allowing, you're basically allowing what happened to occur, to be repeated if there is absolutely no response at whatsoever. I think if the media doesn't do anything, you're just allowing it to ferment and build and, and make it seem like it's okay to happen again. Because we saw it all over the country. Every major city's got an incident with the police doing something to a member of the press. And live on air again and again, and they just didn't care. 
Well, I totally agree with that. And I, I don't know um, if, was that the Washington DC uh, police? I can't remember. No, I think that was Minneapolis. Oh, that was you, early you know, on. It was I in Minneapolis. Right. It was Minneapolis police. You're absolutely right, of course. Um, I don't know if they've said, you know, oh, we're going to do an internal investigation or something, but why leave it to them? I mean, I think you're right because what we don't know is who ordered that, for example, or, or was it, I mean, was it ordered from above and who should be held responsible and should people be fired? And I, I agree with you. I, I'm with you that, that the media should be far more aggressive on all manner of these issues from FOIA to, um, to being abused. I think they should, they should be 100% after it because just to lay, to change the norms, you know, to change the, the culture of the relationship there. And it just set down some some markers, and I, I would say even set down some ground rules, but there are existing laws that ought to be the ground rules. So I, I'm with you 100%. And I don't, I don't even know, see, I think you can file suit and force them to preserve records and start getting to the bottom of who ordered what, especially in the case of the CNN reporter, mm-hmm. who once again, ladies and gentlemen, handled himself incredibly well incredibly well probably scared out of his mind to an example you know is, to one extent a black man yeah yes yeah he's definitely i'm sure it was terrifying but he handled himself really well so i want to commend him for that but you have to get to the bottom of what happened and what protocols were used and what laws and what authorities the people who did it thought they had and even if you don't want to take the funds if you do win you could donate them to a million things, even into the lives of the spouses of officers that were killed in line, right? You don't have to take, right, or or hire more reporters, or there's all kinds of things you could do with it that are good. It's not about the money. To me, it's about finding out what exactly happened and letting them know, letting all the officers know, especially around the country, repeat this and we will expose you. Our job is exposure. And that there would be a price to pay. And it's also for the protection and safety of your employees. You yep. know, it's a workplace issue too. Like your employees on the job were arrested and beaten. And as an employer, you have a responsibility to you know, take measures to make sure that doesn't happen again. Right. If I was CNN on the bottom scroll, every 10 seconds would be chief of police from Minneapolis police department and the mayor, if that's in case, if he's involved have still haven't told us why our reporter was arrested. Yeah. When are we going to get to the bottom? When are we going to get an answer? And then maybe even include the governor in there and force in the attorney general and force out what happened. Now let's just say, let's give Maybe for some reason from the police end, because I don't think we've heard anything about why they say they, that happened, because I don't think they've been forced to say it. Maybe they thought they had, they had the legal justification to do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe there needs to be a better, um, more brighter, brighter line about what the guidelines are, mm-hmm. right? That this filing suit and forcing that discussion is going to help that, yeah. right? As we saw around the country, I think it was in Louisville, 
that female reporter from a local NBC affiliate starts getting hit with pepper bullets um, mm-hmm. or pepper balls, I think is what they're actually called. Yeah. And she kept it together pretty quickly. First saying she was getting shot and the, it was live on the street and her people in her newsroom, the anchors were like, oh my God, are you okay? And she immediately realized what was happening and calmed down, yeah. which is good. But the camera turns and if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll, you'll see some of the highlights. We'll put it in in the video. But the camera turns to the officer that's shooting her and he just keeps shooting the yeah. cameraman and the camera. And with no, without caring a bit the fact that he was on video doing that. Well, that's one of the, you know, as you said before, that they, they don't seem to care even that, that they're being filmed. I mean, that's maybe that's part of the idea that this was at a degree that uh, maybe we haven't seen is that they just seem to have no compunction. Is that the word? No, that's a word. <laughs> that this was something that was uh, completely allowed and and again, I think they relish the opportunity because you, you hear them. I mean, in one of the videos, they're like, fuck your First Amendment. <laughs> you know, can I say that on your podcast? Yep. Uh, and, and I think um, some of the vitriol that they, that they spewed, I, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think a lot of them probably felt like, hey, you want to know what? If I get a suspended for two days if i get some kind of slap on the wrist it's it's worth it to uh to bash these heads in right in the louisville incident i think they're i think louisville and cnn are a little different because i think that just mirror rest of the cnn reporter and i apologize for not knowing his name but there have been so many names from everything that's going on now it's right. very hard to keep them all straight and i don't want to take a guess and mispronounce it yeah. or get the wrong name that one is less likely to end up in his death right, right. although you could see you could argue being in police custody as a black man in minneapolis is dangerous and i once don't i'm not doubting it van. yeah once you right. go into that van well sometimes next to the van next to the van right. on the street by the tire. But that said, the NBC incident, Louisville, they're firing munitions that are called less lethal weapons. Wait, wait. You're firing a munition of any kind at a reporter for no reason. Seems at minimum, if not attempted murder, at least aggravated battery. Yeah. I'm not sure if every shot that she got hit with, that her and the cameraman got hit with, is a count. Yeah. But it's certainly, I mean, you're talking right about discipline. I think they should just lock them up. I yeah, mean, it seems to me, it seems a perfect incident of, of aggravated battery. And once again, that NBC affiliate should have a lawsuit in the courts already. Yeah, I agree. And there's kind of this supreme irony to me that the police see themselves as the patriots who are defending the country and yet they're the ones violating and their law enforcement they're the ones yeah. violating the constitution and the law <laughs> so, it's I mean, well it's the great hypocrisy I, I keep thinking to write an article about this but this is the great hypocrisy of police the overwhelming number of police are conservative politically mm-hmm. many are ultra conservative they're they're pro-gun because you need guns because you have to protect from state 
the tyranny of the state. Wait a minute. You're the tip of the spear of that tyranny. Every other American who is not an officer or in a military, to every other American, you're the tip of the spear of the tyranny. They are the state. They are the tip of the spear for the state. So when they, when people think, average people think of tyranny, it's about getting pulled over for no reason, getting illegally searched for no reason, coming batting down my door because I have a few ounces of cocaine or marijuana in my house. That's the tyranny that most Americans fear. They don't seem to understand that. No, someone said on Twitter something like, wait a minute, this, this is the exact situation for which you guys say that we all should have guns. (laughs) <laughs> right right it is exactly and, you know i i got when people said oh you know these protests are so bad and uh can't get any worse i'm like no it can get a lot worse yeah. right like for the most part the average protester 99 percent of the average peaceful protesters had no weapons i mean what the chicago police going to do if they went to those protests on saturday where everything broke out and twenty five thousand of those people had ak-47s that were loaded yeah I don't understand what they do then. Open right? and legally, open carry. Yes. What, what, what do they do when those people try to force themselves through a line? What happens? You can buy, you can probably get bulletproof vests. You can probably buy helmets. That stuff's obtainable. They can come pretty much, you know, armed up the way the police are. I don't understand. Um, that hypocrisy has always been rank with me. It's always annoyed me to no end. I've had a recent... I had an officer recently, a longtime veteran of the department, tell me that he thinks the guy in Minnesota is going to get off scot-free and that he did nothing wrong. Shalvin. And the the only solace that I have is this guy said pretty much the same thing about Van Dyke and then a month or two later totally changed his tune when he calmed down and realized, oh boy, I should probably take a better look at that. The knee-jerk response to just automatically protect is the problem, right? And we're going to get to this is a nice transition. TMZ has a video. Oh, TMZ, I can't believe they're making it into the podcast. I can't believe we're citing them. Right, so early and so early too <laughs> in the, this. So TMZ has a video up, and you'll be able to find all these videos uh, on our website on the post that has the podcast and in the notes on the YouTube channel. But TMZ has a video of an officer seeming to get upset about someone who looks of color saying something he should not he didn't like the officer didn't like see the officer attacks the guy knocks him down and starts swinging Mm -hmm. bad enough but here's the worst part and this is why you get what you get in minnesota when no one none of the other cops do anything the other cops circle create a perimeter and stop people from being able to record the fact that the officer is just taking you know um windmill punches at this guy and then expand expand the perimeter out they, they form a circle around the beating and then move out, forcing everyone to back away so it can't be witnessed. Can't be witnessed. It can't be recorded. Can't make it into the press. You can't see what we're doing. And I think, I don't know who was there at the time. I'm not sure who shot the video, but I don't think those police actions would have been any different if NBC was there. Right. Or the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN Live, I think they would have done the same thing. And that's just, I mean, that to me is a perfect example. Instead of, excuse me, instead of grabbing their guy off him, they just let him haymaker, haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And we probably see four or five before the circle starts expanding and you can't get any more. 
So I think that's just a perfect example of everything that's wrong with policing and the way they just, it's like a mixture. Everything that's wrong with policing and what they do to just make sure stuff to silence the press or make sure stuff doesn't get in the press. Right. And that, again, that was Chicago. That was Chicago police. Yes, the Chicago police who says, has a superintendent says, he won't tolerate misconduct. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, uh, Superintendent Brown, I'll believe that. Let's go, I would ask the city, spend about $5 million bucks, give it to a nonprofit like mine, and we'll, we'll get uh, law interns and PhD students and PhDs, and we'll just do nothing but sit and watch the video. And let's see how many officers you should be firing. For what happened well that would be interesting to watch that that is a very good question it's how many uh chicago police officers and police officers nationally will lose their jobs because of actions during these programs right if you're if david brown wanted to be taken seriously he would say we have asked for copies of as much of the footage as the media is willing to give to us we're going to have Outside experts come and review every minute of it, and we're going we're gonna to seek discipline on every single officer, regardless of whether or not there was a citizen complaint filed. And the officers, as you said, who expanded the perimeter instead of intervening, and now there are some departments that are putting in new rules or, or cities proposing a, a duty to intervene clause or principle or order. We clearly, in this case, when they see an officer doing something wrong like that, I mean, I guess that's how it worked. In this case, didn't intervene at all. They they did the opposite. They uh, they made it much easier for for that to occur. Right, I, and I I may be wrong, so correct me here. But are not officers sworn to uphold the law? Yeah, isn't there already inherently a duty to intervene? I mean, I could be wrong about that. Maybe this makes it more clear. Well, I, I, cer- I certainly think, I'm not sure if an officer who's off duty that hears something's happening has a duty to go run and do something, regardless of the moral obligation. I'm not sure it's a legal one. But I would say, if you, I do think if they see an aggravated attack happening, which is what that is, an aggravated battery happening, on or off duty, unless very serious reasons to not intervene. They have to go and stop it, especially if it's in Chicago. Now, on duty, what they saw on duty there was an aggravated battery. Regardless of who does it, don't they have an obligation to just arrest the, the perpetrator? You would think, yeah. Or do they get to they pick and choose which ones they arrest? I don't understand. So I don't understand the need for the duty to intervene when they have a duty to stop criminal activity and arrest the criminals. I was just thinking uh, and envisioning them arresting the perpetrator, the cop, and while arresting him, kicking his butt, and then saying, like, sorry, Bill, we have to treat you just like we treat all the other <laughs> perps. And then, and, the, and then him saying, oh, no, it's okay. You, you got to do your job. And then they go back to beating him up. <laughs> I mean, um, so I just, I, I understand the knee jerk reaction, but it's like, no, their job. And I've always thought this about all brutalities. I thought about Van Dyke. Like, I think after Van Dyke put his gun back in his holster, first of all, I don't know how you stop him from shooting, but after Van Dyke puts his gun or runs out of bullets and you stop him from reloading, you, you, you put him over the car, you arrest him, yeah. you arrest him for his duty. He committed a crime. You've seen him commit a crime. Why don't you arrest him? I don't understand that. That's not a, it's not a policy thing. It was clearly a murder. Ten cops on the scene clearly saw a murder and did nothing. 
Yeah. So I guess they get to pick and choose which murders they arrest people on, even the ones they witness. Not all of them, just some of them. If you have a blue or white shirt on, you're cool. You can kill anyone you want. Right. Right. They're going to wait for that internal investigation to happen. So we're going to turn really quickly to our new Chicago Police uh, Union, FOP, Fraternal Order Police president. Funny, he's a president, but he's not actually a police officer. Um, I'm going to say John Catanzara, right? I think it's John. Catanzara. I know the last name, but I think it's John Catanzara. He, you know, continues to get cited by the media. And I think, oh no, one is, I think, WGN and one is the Sun-Times as having some credibility to be able to talk about misconduct and the department's response to the protests and the mayor. This guy stripped of his powers amidst an investigation that is most likely going to result in his termination. That's why they strip you of your powers. You can't be stripped for just an average plaint that has to have, they have a good faith reason to think they're going to attempt to fire you. He's got something like high 40s, low 50s in complaints, several sustained and served suspension. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, one of those sustained things against him was violation of a protective order. Mm-hmm. An order of protection against a girlfriend. He didn't know as a police officer and a member of the, you know, upholding the law, he didn't know what that meant. Uh, Right. So he violated it. I think one of the complaints against him was also by one of his bosses for bouting bigot, bigoted. Yeah. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. He's had, I have an intern doing the background on his entire history. It's pretty amazingly heavy. And a lot of his complaints, although there are some externally uh, from citizens, a lot of his complaints come internally. And he claims it's all politics. But Well, two different police chiefs have tried to fire him. uh, And he's kept his job only because of an ineffectual police, police boards have saved him. And maybe also because of the the union contract i don't i don't know that that played a role in why the police board felt like they had to do what they had to do but it's interesting to me he represents just like your hometown uh minneapolis uh, a police union had there they are both great because he's got a lot of complaints against him Mm -hmm. and he's been involved in three shootings but both of them represent everything that's wrong with policing yeah and police accountability um, but that doesn't make, and I have a quite, I have this question for you, longtime journalist. Why I understand he's the FOP president, but how can you possibly think other than he's in that office that he has any credibility to speak on the issues of misconduct? I don't understand. Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things are going on. One, because he is the union president, just because he's one of the worst cops in the department, you can't ignore him. But I think what it means is, what are the questions you ask? Uh, uh, you don't ask him, you know, just bait questions like, so what do you think about this? What would, what would you do? Uh, you don't talk to him as if he's someone who has, um, uh, who, who's not tainted. I think if you do find a situation where you have to question him, uh, you have to ask questions in a different way, and it might be more like more. If it, it may really be a bit more um, with a bit more kind of uh, hostility or confrontational, like, but like, why do you think police should be able to get away with doing this or that instead of asking, 
Um, so what do, what do you think the policy should be? Like, why do you care what that guy thinks the policy should be? Well, that was one of my complaints. Like the first, I think it was WGN. Um, oh, no, I think it may have been the Sun-Times, actually, the first one, which is he really ripped into Lori Lightfoot in the response. Yeah. Right? To Saturday. And maybe there is criticisms to be met, to be handed out. I'm by far not an expert on how police respond to um, demonstrations, protests. But does he have any, like, particular training that would make him have some kind of insight and expertise? You know, because the Marshall Project did an interesting article earlier this week about how all the science shows, the more the cops put on the turtle suits and the more you give them military equipment and they look like they're out to kick butt, they're going to kick butt. Right. And the more you put them in there, the more hostility there is at the protest. The right. less you put them in that gear, the le- first of all, they're a lot less violent themselves because they don't have the protection. It's like, you know, going to push someone when you're dressed up in football equipment. It's much easier if the guy in the helmet and the shoulder pads and everything to go start a fight than it is when you're just without the equipment. So the science contradicts Kanzara pretty strongly, but it seemed like they just, they just wanted someone to have an opinion regardless about how qualified that opinion might be. Well, it's it. It reminds me of uh, kind of the coverage of climate change is um, just allowing an opinion, an uninformed opinion, just because of, uh, I guess, his, his title or his position. But it would have been more interesting to call up uh, Katanzara and say, so have you, have you read the, you know, here's what this Marshall Center, Marshall Project uh, article says have you read it or and do you want you know if you can come up with some critiques fine or to, or to even say just say well here have you read the research have you read any of the research at all like just or what or from what uh, air, well of expertise and knowledge are you drawing from when you give out what you think should happen like that's how you handle something like that right you can let him spout off and take that down. Yeah. That's great. It doesn't necessarily have to make it into the paper. Exactly. He gets his say. He's the FOP president. But the follow-up's got to be, okay, well, there is science on this, and there is training on this, and this is what the Police Executive Research Forum, one of the leaders, or the International Associate Chiefs of Police, this is what they say. Now, first, that would take the reporter knowing either one of those organizations exist, and then they'd have to go find the research, and then they'd have to read it. Or they could go to the experts and just ask them. But instead, they just went to the FOP president, right? I got Lightfoot's side. Here's the FOP president. We're done. Right. But, and then ask him, have you read any of this research? Do you know any of the experts? Have you been trained by any of the experts? There are trainings on how to do this around the country that can be done. But are you an expert in it? It just seems like they just let him spout off anything he wanted. And, I, I, right. and well, he might be right. I don't know. But there's no basis to believe he is. Yeah, that's um, that's really that's Franz Spielman. So there's a reason why, for example, all of a sudden Alderman Ray Lopez, and to some extent Anthony Beal, but particularly Ray Lopez, is it, all of a sudden he's in the paper all the time. It's because Fran knows that she can call 
him, just like calling the FOP president, and they'll say something uh, nasty about the mayor, and she has a story, and she, then she heightens the, she'll heighten the conflict. It's an easy story. Every single day, if she's looking for something to write, there are certain people you can call that will say something inflammatory or whatever, and now you've got a conflict. And now you're going to play that conflict 50-50. Uh, you, you know, there, there was a poll that just came out that uh, Lightfoot's approval rating is uh, like 70%. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't critique her, but um, even on the council, she still has a strong support. But uh, it's like the climate change thing. You know, Fran play, will play it as if it's like a 50-50 proposition. Uh, she had, she even writes in that piece about the poll, which uh, today's Sunday, she writes about, well, aldermen have been, um, you know, critical of Lightfoot for this, that, and the other thing. It's like three aldermen have been critical. Like, how can, it's not, a, you know, it's, it's a, a version of the both sides, both sides kind of journalism. And that's what Fran has particularly been doing uh, in the Lightfoot administration. And we've, we can, maybe that's another, that's another topic. Uh, I have some ideas as to what her motives are and what drives her. But so all of a sudden you get this complete nutcake, Catanzaro, one of, one of the worst officers on the force. Only seven officers, I think, that have more uh, complaints than he does. Seven percent. Seven percent. I think and, so. And you treat him, uh, and, and and you take his ideas on uh, police reform and behavior and procedure seriously. <laughs> I guess you, you know not that Lori Lightfoot certainly, I, um, I, she's not right all the time. Yep. But she has spent her entire career. Well, she spent much of her civic career in police accountability. It doesn't mean that she's infallible because she's certainly not, but it means that she has some standing to be part of a honest conversation about these issues, even if we disagree with her at times. Not so, not so much for this guy. Well, Mr. Rhodes, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Everyone will be back next week with another episode. We are really going to, at some point, get back to, uh, I have some Memorial Day coverage analysis we have to get back to. Hopefully before the 4th of July, we'll hit that up. And then after the 4th of July, we'll do an analysis of 4th of July coverage over the years. <laughs> because it'll um, be the exact same uh, yeah. data. I do, um, yeah. So we'll, um, we'll be back next week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Rose, thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.